0: I remember I was, I was kind of in an alley and I saw the bus drive up and I saw all these white people on the sidewalk as the bus passed them and I noticed that, I know, I saw the bats and the bricks and I just thought, oh my God, this is about to go bad. And the police were on the other side of the street just milling around. And I knew then they weren't there to help. They weren't there to protect. They were just there to watch.
1: Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson.
0: Hi, I'm Phil Nelson. I want to welcome you to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations. A series of conversations that were held between Dr. Peter Weinstein and myself shortly after the death of George Floyd. They were recorded under authentic conditions, and today's episode is entitled Fear Factor. I hope you enjoy and share.
1: It's just insane. I read a um, brief bio on John Lewis, and uh, the story about his li- the library card and just trying to get a library card at the library. And yeah,
0: he, he gave a speech when, he, they get, when they named the library after him.
1: Yep, And I, there was a quote that says the nations that failed them and uh, talking about, you know, the black people and, and how we have failed them and the land of the free in quotes. Um, and I thought the best thing was a fight for civil rights should be unnecessary. Mm hmm. We shouldn't have to be having these conversations yeah
0: well right now we have a mixture of challenges we have a mixture of insults we have there's a mixture of abuses we have the pandemic of racism going on and we have the recent acute practice of authoritarian of, of, of authoritarianism i can't say the word i know what you mean and in some ways they're blended the racist environment that i have always lived in that we are now talking about the change that we want is largely based on authoritarianism white privilege allows that some of the fear that black culture has just getting up in the morning when you look at federal goons in portland yes okay got it it is that same abusive behavior that allows racism to occur. The federal goons in Portland equal the cops in Montgomery. Thank you. The fact that those unmarked cars, when somebody picks up somebody and takes them in an unmarked car and takes them to a compound of lawlessness. Let let me put it a a different way. First of all, uh, most of the reporting that I've seen suggests that these individuals are from Border Patrol units. And there's a law that says that they have the authority to exercise, uh, uh, to arrest and uh, arrest people uh, as part of their authority within 100 miles of the border. So take the United States border and go 100 miles interior, and all of those cities around the country are at risk. And the ACLU has compromised in law, et cetera, et cetera, that says that when immigration, when, when border protection is an issue, border patrols can detain people without acknowledging who they are. They forfeit the right to search. They, they don't have any inalienable rights because they're they're treated as immigrants, and the compounds that they detained them in are lawless. There are no laws, US US protocol doesn't, doesn't apply anymore. So literally, you could get lost in there. Now, if that's not scary, I don't know what is, right? If somebody picks you up, puts you in a black van, you don't know who they are, and you watch yourself being driven past the police, police headquarters, and you're being driven outside the city somewhere, and you find yourself in a compound that you didn't even know was there, and nobody else can visit, and nobody knows where you are. That's how powerless black people feel when a cop pulls them over.
1: Yeah, it goes back to the conversation of when you could pulled over, what do you hope for?
0: Yep. As you grew up, what did you think about police?
1: I still have a fear of them but it's only because of traffic, traffic crime. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's, um, I've done some ride alongs with uh, police in, in Orange County, which is, you know, low risk. Yeah,
0: like I said, you know, I'm not the black expert either. I actually, I know as a child, child, um, I was taught to respect the police. I was taught that the police were were there to protect me, I, that's you know I was given all that propaganda. I say that because in Jackson, Mississippi, in the '60s, that's not how they treated me. That may be what we wanted, but that's not how they treated me. You know, now I ran into a few. First of all, there were no black cops in the sixties.
1: Mr. Tibbs wasn't there, huh?
0: Mr. Tibbs m- skipped my town. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he, Because he saw how the freedom riders were treated, you know, in the sixties, I snuck out of my house and went, went to meet the freedom. Riders. I was so boy that they were my heroes. I couldn't believe that they were going to be coming down from New York and Pennsylvania on a Greyhound bus. And I also didn't believe they were going to make it to Jackson. I believed that they were going to get to Atlanta, and somewhere between Atlanta and Montgomery, something was going to happen. I knew they weren't going to get out of Montgomery, but they got out of Montgomery, and that's just because I bought into the thing that I bought. You know, every state is better than than the state you're not in. You know. And so Mississippi and Alabama used to argue about which one was at the bottom. It was a battle to the bottom, huh? It was a battle to the bottom. But anybody, it, all every, all the black folk in Mississippi thought Alabama racism was was worse because they had George Wallace, and everybody, and all the black folk in Alabama thought Mississippi was worse. I remember, I was I was, was kind of in an alley, and I saw the bus drive up. And I saw all these white people on the sidewalk as the bus passed them. And I noticed that, I, know, I saw the bats and the bricks. And I just thought, oh, my God, th- this is about to go bad. And the police were on the other side of the street just milling around. And I knew then they weren't there to help. They weren't there to protect. They were just there to watch. And the bus pulled up in the Greyhound station and people started getting off and the crowd just sat and they started yelling at them but nobody moved until they were sure the bus was empty. And, and all the Freedom Riders had gone inside the terminal and then they were trapped. Next thing I know, that throng was just, they were in front of the door and they had created essentially a challenge line to the bus so so that they had to walk through them to get to the bus. And um, There was a radio personality that was a friend of ours. His name was Joby Martin and he was down there he went he was down there too and you know a lot of local celebrities were there to meet them M- most of them were black and uh, jovi martin went walked walked straight walked straight through that line went inside to welcome them and everything and then when they got ready to leave and they started walking out and the crowds getting long lar- you know, larger and larger and at some point somebody went in and dragged somebody out and of course they had been they had been trained in nonviolent protest, et cetera, and they weren't fighting back. They, they all came out to, to, and they sat down around this person that they had dragged out. That was like feeding fish. The crowd just started throwing bricks at them and swinging the bats and, and then people started running and some of them tried, and then they blocked the bus. They wouldn't let the bus driver open the door. And so there was just a melee. And anybody who got through the crowds, the police picked up and arrested. Did nothing to the people that were beating people. I guess they arrested them for getting beat. And, and then I saw Joby Martin go down. And um, that's when I went over and I dragged him out. And because I was kind of in this alleyway, the police weren't on that side. And I don't know how I got in but I knew there were no police where I was. So I went back where I came from and he was a big man. I was a little small boy, I was small skinny, but, but he could walk, but he was dazed. And I put him upside the wall and I had just enough money to call my father and I went and found the phone booth. and, cause this is before cell phones and everything, you know, and I called my father and he's like, where are you, what are you doing there? You know, and he was like, get the hell out of there. <laughs> boy, when you get home, I'm gonna say daddy, Jovi Martin's hurt. He needs help. He's got to come get us. What? <laughs> and he didn't know what's going on. He was at work, you know. And um, You
1: hear the sirens going on behind you?
0: Uh-huh. Bring back memories.
1: It goes, yeah. goes along with the story, doesn't it? It does. When's the last time you told that story?
0: Oh, I don't remember. I'm bringing up all sorts of things, aren't I? You are. I don't remember. Oh, last time I told this, I gave a leadership talk at the AVMA. I gave a, a, to, I gave a leadership talk to, the, um, to some of the alumni of our leadership training. And so I guess that must have been three or four years ago. I started to talk by saying, the fact that you're here means you're leaders. And the fact that you're leaders means that you know what leadership is. You already know what leadership is. And you're here to, and I guess you're here to listen to, to me give you tips that you might not have thought of. And the tip I want to give you is remember the people that helped train you to be the leaders you are. And I just made them start thinking about community leaders and the people that they thought they admired. So I'm not talking about Martin Luther King. I'm not talking about John Kennedy. I'm talking about the people in your community, the people in your schools, the people in in your family that you idolize, that that you want to emulate, and I said, and then I said, and I'm going to show you some of the people I that that I ran into, and I showed them a picture of Joby Martin. I showed them Martin Luther King too. I showed him a picture of my father, and told him what how, what I thought he contributed to my style of leadership, and I you know I said, you all learned something from all these people, you know from from these people, and you learned some things not to do from some of these people. I said, "Yeah." I said, joey Martin was was an early actor that most people don't even know about, but he was, he was a local celebrity. He was funny, and he was a radio personality. And when I told him the story, and I said, and when my father came down to get us, my father had to park the car five blocks away, and he had to. And my father was six foot two, and I, I said, and he was not the the um, most athletic man that you know he was." kind of clumsy and I can imagine him now trying to stealthily get into <laughs> the riot and stealthily get out mm-hmm. but when we got into the car um uh, fa- we took joe b martin directly to the hospital but on the way he was bleeding from his head and he and uh and he could tell i was nervous and he said phil look at me real good son he said is my face still pretty <laughs> He said, I don't care if I got a cracked head, but you better not mess up my face. I'm still pretty, aren't I, <laughs> that's That was leadership to me.
1: Remember the people who helped train you to become the leader you are. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.